It's great to see everyone here today. Uh, welcome to Creekside Church on this Father's Day. Certainly we're thankful for our dads and uh, hopefully we have a chance to celebrate. But let's just begin our time with a word of prayer. Come before the Lord. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence this morning, to sing praises, to reflect on the goodness of your, of your character, God, and the, your great power that you demonstrate for us. Uh, Father, we pray that as we reflect on the story of David um, and your great deliverance that you brought, that you would just encourage us, remind us of the great God that we serve. It's in his name we pray. Amen. We're starting off with a few announcements this morning. We'll still have a time of singing in a little bit, but... Uh, just want to bring a few things to your attention. Um, again, welcome to Creekside. If you're a visitor today, we're really excited to have you. Um, make sure to stop by the welcome table uh, after the service to say hi, and I think we have a, a little gift for you. But uh, I've got a, a reminder, a summer reminder. So summer is flying by. I know everyone is thinking, oh, June just got here, but no. June is, is more than halfway done, and that means a 4th of July gathering is coming up, so I'm just going to relay a few, uh, few bits of information. So, again, everyone knows the date, but what you want to know is the time, right? So, you can show up. I know it says 6 p.m. up there. Um, I was communicated 5.30 for supper, so I think it's just come... Bring your, uh, bring your potluck dishes. Um, I, I think that some more information on food is coming, so I'm not going to say too much about that, but I know typically there's uh, you know, some type of potluck-style uh, dinner, and, and the church uh, provides meat that's grilled. So um, come for dinner. After dinner, we'll have games out on the lawn. Uh, it's just a good time of fellowship. Good chance to invite some neighbors or friends to come. Um, we'll have snow cones, popcorn uh, available. So a good time to get together and celebrate in the evening of the 4th. Now, I know we always need help to pull this off. So if you have interest in helping in the kitchen or with grilling, that's a great opportunity. We always need some helpers to run the snow cone machine and the popcorn machine to hand out to, to guests. Um, we, need, we need people to help with setup. Uh, so if you, if you, you know, can come and help set up some tables or something that's a great need, and then clean up afterwards. So there's lots of opportunities. I think shortly before the fireworks too, we're going to do as we've done in the past, hand out some, some little bags with some information about Creekside and, and uh, some type of uh, tract. So uh, if you're interested in helping out with that. So look for the sign-up sheet. Anand will be out here after the, after the service. Look for Anand, say hi, uh, ask what you can help with. Take a look at the sheet, see some of the opportunities, and get your name down. All right, so that's, uh, that's coming up quickly. Now, uh, we have a special announcement. I'm going to have Doug uh, come on up and uh, share something about, uh, about our deacon team. Right, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we introduced uh, uh, Jim Fennessy. So Jim and Nancy, if you can come up forward, please. Uh, so Jim is a candidate for a, a deacon here at our church, and we would like to officially recognize uh, him this morning and pray over him. And so again, Jim and uh, Nancy Fennessy. They've been here how many years? Eight, eight years now. Is that right? Okay. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you. Well, let me just uh, pray. I'm going to come behind you guys and 
lay a hand. Dear Lord, uh, we just uh, thank you for uh, Jim and Nancy being here, part of our congregation, uh, their willingness to serve. Uh, we just ask a blessing over them as Jim is going to be taking this role as deacon uh, for our church. We just want to thank him uh, for his service and just ask your spirit to be upon him, guide him and direct him in all his activities and, and just put that hedge of protection um, over him and his family as they serve. We just uh, thank you uh, for his willingness and for Nancy's willingness. And we just lift this up in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Let's give him a round. Amen. Well, we sure are thankful for our deacon team. And, uh, you know, they do a lot of service that sometimes goes unnoticed. And uh, so we're, we're just so grateful for uh, Jim being uh, willing to step in and help on, on that team. So now we have an announcement uh, from the Haiti team. I think uh, Karen is going to come introduce that, and then we're also going to hear uh, something from Jude. So as, as many of you know, we have, uh, have several in our, from our congregation that have been heavily involved in Haiti, and uh, so Karen is a key part of that, and so I'm going to let her introduce Jude. So um, I know many of you already uh, know Jude and have met Jude, and uh, our team is, uh, just has a lot of joy serving with Jude in Haiti. Um, but for those of you who don't know Jude, and maybe some of you are new, I just want to introduce him to you. Jude is a Haitian-born pastor and educator, and he's the executive director of PCMP, which is Philadelphia Christian Mission of Pinyon. Um, and this is a nonprofit charitable or Christian organization that is located uh, in Pignon, Haiti. Jude spends the majority of his time in Haiti uh, administrating um, his school, pastoring his local church, and serving in the local community. And so um, also our Creekside mission team, when we go to Haiti, we serve with Jude, alongside Jude each fall in Haiti. And uh, this morning, Jude would just like to share with you about our child sponsorship program that we've recently initiated at PCMP. And so this is Jude Augustine. Good morning, church. Good morning. Once again, for a third time, my name is Jude Augustine. <laughs> I'm from Haiti, like Ken Joe said. I'm super excited to be here with you this morning so we can worship the Lord together. And I'm very excited about that. I'm also excited uh, about the conversation we will have today. Are you excited? <laughs> um, uh, that's why I need you to, to stay for a couple minutes, to stay present with me for a couple minutes so we get to this. Um, today we don't have any slide, and it is not a test. Mm -hmm. So it is me and Karen coming on behalf of a PCMP and the student at the Philadelphia School of Haiti um, to speak to your heart. Uh, here's what I know about you. I know you want to make an impact. You want to make a difference. I say that because you could have been disobedient against God, but you choose to go to Haiti, to send team to Haiti, to send support not only to Haiti, to many different parts of the world to support each other. I appreciate that very much. And also, a couple, just 
last week or a couple of weeks ago, you organized a pancake breakfast just to send a team to Haiti to support others. Thank you so much, and thank you from the bottom of my heart for your continued support. I know at times it could be uh, difficult to help. That's why I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you obeying the calling God put in your heart to help each other. Today, PCMP is facing a financial difficulties, and this is due to a law to the loss of our a main church supporter, the Queen Church of Chicago. Uh, unfortunately, a complex situation come to the church that caused the church to split. And because of the split, so we lose support. They no longer can support us. And that's make it so difficult for us. And it make it difficult to support the 48 teachers and the seven staff member and even put the risk that to be able to provide a good Christian education for 350 students. Last week alone, the board, we met together trying to decide what to do with this school, rather to close part of the school or to step in faith. So, praise the Lord, we step in faith, in faith. And we need more supporters like you to step in faith with us so we can, conti we can continue our work in Haiti. In order to do that, we are looking for more people to support more students in the school. Now, Karen will tell you a little bit more about that. I'll let Karen talk about that. Thank you so much for your attention, and may the Lord continue to bless you. Um, so in your bulletins, I'll try to make this quick, um, you'll see these little cards are child sponsorship cards. And there's, there's several ways that you can sponsor a child, either um, online through the QR code or through just texting to, this, uh, to the number on the here, um, sponsor a child is all you need to text. It'll take you right to the donation form. To sponsor a child in Haiti for elementary is only $10 a month. Um, so I don't know who cannot afford $10 a month to help us uh, be able to continue to keep our school open and support students um, who really would like to receive an education, but sometimes it's very difficult for them in Haiti. So please, uh, we'd appreciate um, your support. Thank you so much. Um, also, Jude has prayer cards back on the um, uh, Welcome Center, and so you can grab one of those as well. So just uh, thank you so much for allowing us to share with you this morning. Our prayer is that we will be able to sponsor all 350 um, students that are currently enrolled at PCMP. And just, um, I'm very excited too, uh, Mike Johnson has developed for us a website which is on the back of this card. And so take a moment to just go through, look at our website because um, he did an amazing job and we're really, really happy to have a website now that we can share with people. So thank you so much. <laughs> Let's go ahead and stand together. Uh, if you're part of our Sunday school group, uh, you're dismissed, but we're going to sing a couple songs before we start.
What a powerful prayer that we just sang. And it is my prayer that that would be uh, the true desire of our hearts, uh, that we would be committed to build our lives upon the firm foundation, the person and the work of Jesus Christ. It's a privilege for me to welcome you here this morning, and as uh, Alan said, if you're here, if you happen to be a guest, there is a, a, in the bulletin an additional flap in the bulletin. That's the best way I can describe it. Uh, if you could fill that out and put it in the offering box that's on the welcome table, that would be appreciated. Uh, we would appreciate a record of your attendance. Uh, it's totally optional. And if you are part of our regular church family and you have a prayer request or a need, uh, please make that known on that as well. Uh, I just want to continue to uh, worship the Lord in, in prayer. If you would uh, join me, I'd sure appreciate that. Father in heaven, uh, we come to you this morning uh, praising you for who you are and thanking you for your good grace and mercy in our lives. And I ask now, Lord, uh, that the Spirit of God would uh, work uh, powerfully in each of our hearts, that we would continue to worship you in spirit and in truth through the study of your word, take its truths and drive them home to us. I pray that you would speak to our hearts in the way that each of us needs to hear it this morning for your glory and the gain of your kingdom, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there was a movie that was uh, put out several years ago called Facing the Giants. And in this movie, the movie theme or the storyline is kind of, it's about a football coach whose record is mediocre, uh, which means not very good. And his wife was uh, struggling to get pregnant. And so through these uh, ominous uh, giants, he faced these uh, quote-unquote giants uh, with great faith and ended up overcoming and seeing uh, his, uh, his wife ended up getting pregnant and his record ended up improving, okay? Now, what I'm about to say may be a little bit of a shock to some of you. So, hold on because I'm going to spend the next few moments trying to unpack it. What I'd like to say is that the story of the movie draws on a common but corrupt application of David's slaying of Goliath in the story of 1 Samuel chapter 17. You see, we're, we're really comfortable, most of us as Christians, to talk about uh, courageously facing our, uh, if we're a child, our neighborhood bullies, you know, mom and dad talking about our neighborhood bullies, or if we're dealing with our own personal insecurities, or if we're dealing with a physical affirmity, as if it's a giant that we're going to slay. If we just have enough faith, we'll get victory through it. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have faith in those situations, okay? I'm not saying that. But I am saying that we are not David. Uh, and that we have this guarantee that if we just have enough faith that we're going to get through this giant. Such an approach overlooks uh, what I think is, is a major thrust, a couple of main thrusts in the passage of 1 Samuel 17. See, God's greatness is enabling our weakness as we defend His honor in a contrary world. 
That's what David was doing. He was facing a contrary world, the opposition, the enemy, and he exercised faith in the middle of his weakness, and God empowered it so that God, not David, is the hero of the story. Additionally, David's victory, David's victory over Goliath is a major portrait and points us ahead to Christ's defeat of the ultimate enemy of sin, so that all who believe can be redeemed. That's the victory that David the king won over Goliath, was pointing us to what Christ did on the cross. And so if you have your Bibles, or if you can reach under the seat back in front, or the seats in front of you, there should be a Bible, or you have your device, if you have an app on your phone, turn to 1 Samuel 17. Because in the first uh, in this chapter, and somebody asked me last week, are, are you going to cover all of chapter 17? And I said, yes. I'm not going to read all of chapter 17, but we are going to cover all of 17. There are three important steps to courageously defend God's honor, despite our weakness, in the face of His enemies testifying to His reality, okay, and his supernatural ability. This is about weak people facing God's enemies, defending God's honor for God's glory. I am going to read some, okay? So I'm going to read, and I'll skip around a little bit because I'm, I'm not going to read it all, but I've been a little picky about it. Beginning with verse 1, I'm going to read the first 11 verses, and then we'll move around a little bit. Now the Philistines gathered the armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the, uh, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he, had, uh, and his, he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he also had bronze greaves on his legs and bronze javelins slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of the Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will become our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, uh, Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all the army heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now go down to verse 17. Then Jesse said to David, his son, Take now for your, uh, for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. And now verse 20. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went out went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array shouting a war cry verse 23 
As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from, name, uh, from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these words, same words, and David heard them. Verse 24, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Now verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away this reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should taunt, or the ESV says, defy the armies of the living God? Verse 31. When the words of which David spoke were, uh, were heard, they were told them, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're but a youth. Well, he has been a warrior from his youth. Verse 36, Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies or defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Verse 41, and the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bear in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and, a, and ruddy with a handsome appearance. I'm not sure what ruddy means. I think it's kind of a runty, scrawny-looking guy, okay? That's, uh, that's my, he just kind of looked a little rough around the edges and not, not very impressive. Verse 43, the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with, a, with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted or defied. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands and I will strike you down and remove your head from you and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all the assemb this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give you into our, into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to, to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag, and he took from it a stone and slung it. And it struck the Philistine on his forehand, and the stone sank into his forehead so that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. First step to be taken to courageously defend God's honor is that we size up the foe. Okay, we got to size up what the enemy looks like, who he is. And there are four considerations, at least in the text. First of all, the context of the challenge. What's going on? Well... Uh, the Philistine army had gathered in Judah, okay, in the Judah property. So uh, I want you to see this picture of the, the, the valley of Elah. 
Okay, it's kind of hard to see, I guess, a little bit, but if you look on the far side, there's this valley. Philistine army on this side on the hills, Israelite army on this side on the hills, in between is the valley where they're going to fight this battle. Now the character, first of all, uh, the first challenger, uh, the first character in the challenge is Goliath. We meet him in the text in verses uh, 4 through 7. Now, Goliath is nine and a half feet tall. Some texts would say six feet, nine inches tall. Take your pick, okay? He's he's nine feet tall, nine and a half, or six foot nine. Depends upon whether it's four cubits or six cubits. Uh, We don't really know for sure. I think nine feet sounds good to me. Nine and a half feet. uh, Doesn't really matter. The Israelites weren't really very tall people, okay? Uh, So they were kind of short. This guy's towering above them, all right? And he is clothed with bronze, which is an indication of the advancement of the Philistines, okay? They were bronze workers. He had a bronze helmet. He had bronze greaves, which is shin guards. He had scale armor that weighed 126 pounds. He had a spear, the shaft, like a weaver's beam, the tip of the spear weighed 15 pounds. That's like a a college or Olympic-sized shot put, okay? that he had, and he was coming out, he had a javelin, a bronze javelin over his shoulder and carrying his spear, and he had a shield bearer in front of him. The first thing I thought of was uh, Thanos, okay? So uh, this is the the picture, all right? So this is is like the ancient version of Thanos uh, from the Marvel movies. Some of you are looking blank stare, don't worry about it. It's, It's not, I'm not telling you to go out and watch the Marvel movies, it's just that's the picture, okay? He was impressive, all right? That's the point. So you see the context. There's this battle that's raging. And the Philistines are in Judah. Okay, they're in their territory. It's, it's, it's scary. And they have this huge mammoth guy that's parading out in front of them to, to be there. And now the content of the challenge. What does Goliath say? Hey, look, we're just going to have a little duel here. Me against whoever you bring out. And whoever wins, that army and that people will Surrender to and serve the other army. Okay? Simple as that. That's all we have to go through. It's it's easy. And notice the text in verse 10 tells us the essence of his challenge. And this is something I think that's important that we miss sometimes in the text. It says, the Philistine said, I defy the ranks. Okay? And that word, some form of that word is used six times in this text. Okay? And the ESV is pretty consistent in, in uh, translating it as defy. But the NASB sometimes says taunt, sometimes says reproach, gives a different nuance of it, but it, it basically communicates the same thing. He's defying God, the, the ranks of Israel, okay? He's taunting whom? The text says in verse 10, the armies... Of the, or he says he's taunting the armies of the living God. Okay? That's, who he's, that's whom he's taunting. And we see this again in, in verse 20 and 26. And therefore, if you're defying or you're taunting the armies of the living God, you're taunting the living God. They're his army. You're taunting God. So he's basically standing in the face of God and mocking him. And what I would like to submit to you is we live in such an age. 
that the spirit of an age that we live in is similar to what Goliath and the Philistines were doing among the Israelites, taunting God. We live in an age when, the, when, when people, they defy God's people. The world defies God's people. They dishonor God's word. They discount God's word and they dishonor God. Uh, the state of California uh, is, is considering a bill now. Uh, it's California, it's AB 957, that declares that a parent uh, who does not affirm the gender identity of their student, regardless of age, is now going to be held in contempt. Okay, They're going to be guilty of abuse. They'll be considered abusive to their child if they do not confirm uh, and affirm whatever the child uh, says is their gender. That's an age in which we live in which they're dishonoring God. The consequence of the challenge. Uh, verse 11. And when Saul and all Israel... Now, remember, Saul's the tallest dude in the town on the Israelite side, right? That's why he was king, right? Picked him out, he's the tallest. So he's the biggest guy they've got, and what's he doing along with the rest of the people? Verse 11, it says, They were greatly afraid. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. They were shocked and scared. That's the enemy. Impressive. Second step to see the facts from a spiritual perspective, which I would submit to you that Saul and the rest of the army didn't, but David did. This was his shining light. So here we go. Consider several important facts from a spiritual standpoint. First of all, the apparent insignificance of David. Throughout the text, we have this, this contrast between the impressive nature of Goliath and the seeming insignificance of David. He's just not all that impressive, okay? And so in verses 12 through 16, the, the, the contrast is David's in, or Goliath's intimidation. So what do we learn about David in 12 through 16, which you didn't read uh, at all, but I'm not going to read it. What we learn is that, that David is the, the youngest son, and we saw this last week too, he's the youngest son of an ordinary dude from the smallest, one of the smallest bergs in all of Judah. I mean, it's like, okay, his dad's name's Jesse, he's the youngest son, and they live there from Bethlehem. Not much there, okay? And he goes back and forth, he's, he's serving his dad, herding the sheep, which is like the lowest of the low job, you know? And he's going back and forth, and sometimes he's serving Saul, playing this harp to soothe the, the king. And then we have Goliath. Twice a day, for 40 days, he marches out into the valley and he says, all right, you cowards, pick a man, any man, and come out and let's have a battle. And whoever wins, that people wins and the other people surrenders and serves us. Then there's the actual intentionality of God. What's God doing? What's interesting to me in verses 17 through 23 is that God is never just doing nothing he's always doing something and he's always doing something in the ordinary everyday events of our lives what's David supposed to do 
Oh, his dad says, oh yeah, son, why don't you take uh, some, uh, some cheese and some bread and, and head down to the, the, the battle because the boys are down there, his oldest three sons are down there, and they're fighting and, against the Philistines in the Valley of Elah. So why don't you make your way down there? And he does. And it just so happens that he's there when Goliath parades out and makes this taunt to the people. Says the same thing. You bring your best guy against me and whoever wins, those people will surrender to and serve the other people. And David is just happens to be there. Not just happens, okay? So I just would submit to you that we should remember that in the course of our ordinary everyday lives, God is at work. Because it seems like an insignificant thing, right? But it's not. Second, thirdly, we see the articulated impact of the giant. Verse 24, how do the people respond to the giant's words? When all the men of Israel saw the man, that is Goliath, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. Ah, verse 11, ding, 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 same response. They were greatly afraid and, and, they, and they fled from him. Now, how frightened were they? Well, I didn't read verse 25, but I'm going to read it right now. Let's read verse 25. It says, And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Wow. That was huge. You're going to be rich, and you're going to be the king's son-in-law, and your family doesn't pay taxes forever. The magnitude of the reward that they all passed on gives some indication of how frightened they were. It's like, nobody's biting, and that's a pretty good tease right that's a pretty big carrot to hang out there and nobody's taking it and so we know that they're greatly afraid and now contrast Israel's fear Saul's fear with the faith of David in verses 26 and 27 verse 26 David says uh, well we're saying what, what is to be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel, okay, and you're going, well, David, you sneaky little devil, you. You know, you, all you're interested in is what's in it for you. Well, they're the ones who baited him because they kind of laid it out in verse 25, right? And so it seems like he's only self-serving, but we get the real picture of his true motivation in the second question he asks in the text. And in the second question, he says, um, is, for who is, that's his second question, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? That he should defy the armies of the living God. Who is this dude? I mean, who does he think he is? So we see from David that his spiritual life, first introduction to God in the text. Armies, who is this? Who's this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? This is a God issue. This is not an Israel issue. This is a God thing. Okay? 
maybe it's not the first time that he introduces it, but it's a theological question that he brings up, okay? I got in trouble last week because I said that uh, in my lifetime there's never been a bald president, and then somebody came up, and uh, there's three of them, I can tell you, Eisenhower and Johnson and, and, uh, and maybe uh, Harold or Gerald Ford, okay? Well, I went back and Googled them. I mean, I was kind of like a little, like, I'm like Saul, you know, when I, I caught in a sin, I'm going to defend myself and try to rationalize it, and I would submit to you that there's only one of them probably that was really bald. The other guys were balding. But, uh, but, but thanks for the correction. Okay, so uh, th- this is that David is speaking about God in the text, which up to this point nobody does. Okay? And he is concerned about the honor of God. David's spiritual eyes looked beyond the disgrace upon Israel. And he saw the Philistines, notice how, notice how David never dignifies the giant by using his name. He's always the Philistine, which is a derogatory term for, for the Jewish people. I mean, the Philistines were dogs. They, you know, so when Goliath says, you, do, you think I'm a dog? Well, yeah, actually he does. Uh, he really does. But he, he saw the Philistines' defiance as an affront to the armies of the living God. And thus, to God. This guy is mocking God. And I'm not okay with that, is, is kind of David's thing. I'm, I'm just not okay with that. See, David was perplexed. He's a little shepherd boy who was the anointed king. And he he comes to the battle and he's perplexed and he's perturbed by the inactivity of Israel in the face of such blatant belittling of God Almighty. What are you doing? This is God and you don't even care. And so I ask you, I ask myself, so does does a God-centered perspective permeate our thoughts Does it permeate our words in the face of life's challenges, especially when God's honor is being mocked? Is that how we are? You know, so you think about it. Like when our our children reject or turn their backs on our faith, when our employer rejects us for our faith, do we serve a living God? Are we one of those who are part of the family of God who has a living God who is not very concerned? He's got it. He's in charge. He knows what he's doing. And he's able to do all things. David's, uh, in my opinion, David's kingly stock just got elevated. I mean, uh, you know, his net worth, uh, he just went up because of his courage in the face of Saul's cowardice. All right? He was there. Now, the inappropriate inquisitiveness, because what happens is uh, uh, Eliab, which is David's older brother in verses 28 through 30, he demeaned his younger brother as some sort of a pest. What are you doing here anyway? Just go back and take care of those little few few sheep back there where, you know, get out of here. You're annoying me. A typical big brother, right? You're, you're just annoying me, so, so leave the scene. But David remained under, while Eliab thinks he's a pest, David remained under, undeterred in his quest to defend God's honor. 
which leads to the third step. We size up the enemy, yeah, we, we, we see through spiritual eyes, and then finally we step out in faith boldly. And there's several evidences of courageous faith that defends God's honor. This is what I'm trying to say, distinguishing us from the facing the giants mentality, is that we're defending God's honor in our own weakness, and God is glorified. And there's several steps that point to His supremacy, God's supremacy, and His supernatural activity. First, confidence in God's salvation. In verses 31 through 37, uh, Saul caught wind. Hey, some guy in the camp is asking about this Philistine guy and, and wants to know what's the reward and uh, why we're not going up against the army. He's, he's defying the armies of the living God and who is he anyway? And so Saul calls for David to come. Okay. And if you look at verse 32, David in the presence of the king immediately says this, let no, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go up and fight against the Philistine. I got this. Okay, now who's David? A ruddy little shepherd boy, youngest of the batch. I got this. And, and Saul's like, verse 33, no, you don't. Eliab says you're puny. Saul says you're a plebe. You know, like a plebe is like the, the, the first year uh, student in the military academy. He's <laughs> just green. You're wet behind the ears, buddy. You have no idea. And so here we have Saul who discouraged David on the basis of his immaturity, inability, and the imminent, uh, the, uh, the immensity of the, of the foe in front of him. You don't have this, uh, Saul's thinking. You, you don't have it. But uh, David's, uh, again, not discouraged. Because in verses 36 and 37, we say, David's like, oh, yeah. I mean, you may think I'm just doing nothing when I'm sitting out there guarding the sheep, but guess what? Uh, I took out a lion, I took out the bear, and uh, I'm telling you, <clears throat> I killed him. And this Philistine is like one of them. He's no different. This uncircumcised Philistine is, is just like them. And then he goes on in verse 36, saying about of the Lord, he will deliver me. Just as he delivered me from, the, from the, the mouth of the lion and the claws of the bear, he will deliver me. He's got me. I don't have this. God has this. God's past faithfulness gave him confidence to trust God for present deliverance. Folks, it's very good for us to remember the past faithfulness of God. Because remembering the past faithfulness of God in our lives fuels present faith ventures. When I understand what God has done, it gives me courage to know what God will do. Our team members. First time some of our team members went to Haiti <laughs> with fear and trepidation. I remember uh, a strapping young man. He's like six foot three, probably weighs about 240. Uh, he, he, he was sweating bullets, thinking about getting on a plane to go overseas to do a short-term mission trip. First time he'd ever gone, he was scared, scared spitless, you know. Our, our Haiti team, I know we've had some of them, are like, eh, I'm not going, I'm, I'm scared. And then they go, and then they go like, oh yeah, 
God took care of us. Now, it doesn't mean everything was rosy. It doesn't mean everything went well. But they, they got back, and, and God took care of them. And God blessed them. And God blessed them way more than he blessed the people that they went to serve, probably. And you know what? So then they're like, yeah, God can do this again. I think we can do this again. Same thing is true for us. If, if, if we continue to exercise those faith muscles, guess what? They get stronger. And that's what David had seen and, and, and knew it. David's courage is in direct contrast to Saul's cowardice. Secondly, there, there's a comfort in God's supply. So Saul says, okay, try on my armor because you can't go out against this, this, this giant with, with no weapons. And David tries it on and can't trip around. Nope, can't do that. Uh, just give me my sling and my stones. Small, simple, the same weapons he'd used against a lion and a bear, tested and tried and true. I'm good with that, David says, because anyhow, God's got me. And so he doesn't need the massive weapons. And so he goes out with a sling and a stone and notice his commitment. So thirdly, his commitment to God's supremacy. Verses 41 through 47 is the contrast between the two combatants is amplified okay if you read down through the text and I'm not going to take time to read it again but it says the Philistine the Philistine the Philistine the Philistine the Philistine five times the Philistine this guy is towering in not only physically but literarily well I'm not sure that's a word but in, in, in the literature, he, he, he is grammatically emphasized, okay? It's all about the giant. And you've got, in the giant's view, okay, so Eliab thinks David's a pest. <laughs> Saul thinks he's a, a plebe. And the giant thinks he's puny. And he's an insult. And he's disgusting. Because you're sending this little kid out, out to fight me. So David insulted Goliath and incited him to boast, I'm going to feed you to the birds and the beasts. That's what I'm going to do with you. So here we have, <laughs> we got giant doing the trash talking, okay? Uh, he's, he's trash talking David. I'm just going to feed you to the dogs. I'm going to feed you to the birds. You're going to be, you're going to be bird food, all right? But then we got David doing the truth talking. We got Goliath is trash talking, and David is doing the truth talking. In verses 45 through 48, David says this. To the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. That's what you got? That's the best you got? A sword, a spear, and a javelin? Bring it on, buddy, because I come to you in the name of the Lord our God. In the name of means in the authority of, with the power of, as a representative of. The Lord of hosts, Yahweh Tsabaoth. That means he is the absolute ruler of every army, earthly, heavenly, and cosmic. You know what? He's in charge of your army, Philistine. He's in charge of the army of Israel, Philistine. He's in charge of every army. Philistine, Philistine, you're a punk. Compared to God, 
David's rebuttal declared that the giant, he had no idea who he's messing with. I mean, it's just like this. No, sometimes my mind works this way, so just forgive me. But it's kind of like Mark Wahlberg picking on Danny DeVito. Okay? So there's Mark Wahlberg. Assume young people don't know who Danny DeVito is. That's fine. Just Google it. Uh, Mark Wahlberg's picking on Danny DeVito. But in the shadows is Dwayne the Rock Johnson uh, ready to, to, to whoop up on Mark Wahlberg. It's like you don't stand a chance against the Lord of hosts whom you have defied. David looked beyond the size of his enemy and the significance of his opposition and he saw God. Supremely powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, able to do whatever. David promised to strike down the giant himself, lop off his head, and make the Philistine army kittles and bits for the birds and the beasts. And the Philistines' defeat and Israel's deliverance, the text tells us, is going to serve two purposes. Look at verse 46. Uh, end of the, verse 46, that, this means purpose, circle that, that means purpose. The purpose for this defeat is that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, a real, living, powerful God. And the Philistine had kind of in, intimated this earlier. I didn't read it, but he'd said, our, our God. You're gonna, you're gonna, like, so Because the Philistines had their God, and he's saying, no, 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 no. God, there is a God in Israel. Okay? Secondly, verse 47, that everyone gathered would know that the Lord does not save by sword or spears, but the battle is the Lord's. You have all these human instruments, these things that human beings trust in. Guess what? God doesn't rely predominantly. Now, he did use a a sling and a stone, right? So these are human instruments, but they are evidence and and weakness. That's a picture of weakness compared to the Goliath's great power. God doesn't save. He doesn't defeat our foes. He doesn't deliver with human strength. He delivers with what the world considers weakness. The battle against evil that dishonors God and his, and, and, and dishonors God and his people, we fight in our weakness with his weapons. And you can write it down, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. The weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world, but the tearing down of, of fortresses and strength because of who God is. In our weakness, we resist what dishonors God, not with worldly weapons. Weapons, now, sometimes you use worldly means, because, but they're, they're, they're weakness compared to the weapons that the world holds up against us, okay? They're weakness. Finally, we see that competence in God's strength in verses 49 through 51. Okay, they've been going back and forth, you know, kind of doing this trash talking on the battlefield. You can just see David and Goliath going back and forth, back and forth. Uh, Bantering's over, and we get down to the battle. And it really doesn't take long. (laughs) All it takes is David grabbing one stone, sling, boom. 
And uh, I, I read, can't confirm this, that a, a skilled user of a sling can pull it back and send it sailing at about 120 miles an hour. So it doesn't take a very big rock at 120 miles an hour right between the forehead, which I'm pretty sure that God was instrumental in guiding. Caught him in the chink of his armor with a sling and a stone. And notice in verse 50 it repeats that David had no sword. (laughs) It's not the weapons of the the world's warfare. This is a sling and a stone. And he used the giant's sword to finish him off, proving once again that God's power through what the world considers weakness gained victory. David's victory here, I think, pictures Christ's final and full triumph over our insurmountable giant of sin at Calvary. Christ's win is the greatest witness to the world. Notice the evangelistic thrust that this battle would mean that people all over the world would know that there's a God in Israel. And Christ's victory on the cross is the greatest witness that there is a God in Israel and there is a supreme God who rules It's a witness to the world of God's reality and His supernatural ability because He saves not by swords and spirits. He saves through different means. Predominantly, He saves through faith. And our our courageous defense of God's honor points people to these things. So God, through David... uh, pictures what Christ did on the cross, which is a testimony to the world of the reality and the supernatural ability of God. And when we stand in similar fashion to David and confront what dishonors God in our own weakness, we point people to the reality and the supernatural ability of our God. We are not David, okay? We're not slaying the giants of poverty and cancer and uh, insecurity with enough faith. But we, like David, are called to courageously defend God's honor in a contrary world while trusting Him to supply us with the power in our own weakness. So He gets the glory, not us. And doing so may cost us. Okay, this is the, it may cost us. It may cost us our convenience. It may cost us comfort. It may cost us our safety. I don't know if you've heard or seen or read anything about this new movie coming out, The Sound of Freedom. But The Sound of Freedom movie is based on the true story of a, a man by the name of Tim Ballard and his Operation Underground Rescue. A story about a man who started an organization with a group of others to deliver young children out of the sex trafficking trade. Their lives are in danger. Not only the kids, but the people who rescue them. And whatever is happening there, you better believe, is an offense to God. The trafficking, I mean, not the rescue. And so they stand up and stand in the gap to fight. Inconvenient, yes. But you, at your work, perhaps... Your job security, your professional licensure, or your advancement in the company 
may be contingent upon your full embrace of critical race theory or uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion that in many ways and in many points dishonors God, these, these theories and these ideas. For in the church, and we refuse to officiate a wedding ceremony where one of the couple is a believer and the other uh, is not a believer, it can cause problems. People get mad. People get upset. But we're defending God's honor when He says, you shall not be unequally yoked. It's dangerous to stand up for God. David's defeat of Goliath instructs us to face opposition such as happens in these libraries where they have sexually explicit books for young children, or child mutilation in the name of gender affirmation, or simply cross the border in Canada where euthanasia is made legal and celebrated. We stand against these things in the name of God's honor, trusting in God's power in spite of our weakness. The battle is the Lord's. We're just soldiers in the battle, trusting his faith, trusting him in faith. And because God's honor matters, then the last section is about what David did that compelled his skeptics. And uh, David's uh, faith-based action to honor God against his enemies had at least three effects on his skeptics. And I'm saying everybody there was a skeptic, okay? David was the only one who wasn't a skeptic. Everybody else was a skeptic. The Philistine army was a skeptic. Goliath was a skeptic. Uh, Saul and the Israelite army was a skeptic. David's own family, they were skeptics. But here we see it incites his adversaries. What happened in verse 51 at the end of the verse was what happened when David slew Goliath? The Philistines scram. Uh, I don't have time to dig into it, but interesting parallel between chapter 14 and what Jonathan did. In Jonathan's courage and faith, sent the Philistine army scattering. and David's courage and faith sent the Philistine army scattering. Then, it, secondly, uh, it, it inspires his allies to fight. In verses 52 and 54, everybody else is like on board with it now. They're chasing after the Philistine army because the giant has been defeated. Uh, I thought about uh, Candace Cameron Burr, uh, and she, she was an actress with Hallmark, and she left Hallmark. And because Hallmark was going to ask her to do, and she didn't believe in compromising her Christian convictions, and so she left it. Now she's with Great American Family TV. And she left it because she, she didn't want to, to, uh, to compromise. Think about Hobby Lobby. What did Hobby Lobby do? They stood up and said, you know what, we're not going to provide health insurance that, that, that mandates that we have contraceptives that could cause the, the abortion uh, of, a, of, of a live fetus. We're just not going to do that. And they went all the way to the Supreme Court. And their courage to face it emboldens others to stand up. And finally, uh, David's courage invites, I, I put this uh, not necessarily, his admirers to fish. Uh, Saul goes, well, whose dad is that guy? Uh, this is the end of the chapter, 58 through 55 through 58. Who is that guy? Three times. Whose son is he? Whose son is he? And it's like, well, okay, so you're going, oh, Saul doesn't remember chapter 16, uh, where he, he was told about this guy who's son of Jesse and brought him in and had him play the harp and saw him, call him his fears. Well, you know what? Saul's a king. So cut him some slack. You know, he doesn't have every remembrance of every 
insignificant person that's serving in his entourage. So it brings clarity where there was confusion, but all for the purpose of reminding us who's that, who's this is. It's David, the next king of Israel. And his stock is increasing. And his and his and his his his, his He's growing in his interest in David, who defended the living God's honor in his weakness, highlights the reality and the resources of Almighty God and his deliverance. So if you're here this morning, you're listening online, and you have never surrendered your life to Christ, I point you to this text and say, look, Jesus' death and resurrection was the ultimate declaration to all the world that there is a God in Israel. And he doesn't save, he doesn't deliver by sword and spear and javelin. No, he doesn't deliver. But through personal faith in his son, Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on the cross so that we would be free from the punishment we deserve because our sin is the ultimate Goliath and the ultimate conqueror that we need to defeat. And Christ did it for us. And I would challenge you, believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved from the consequence of sin, condemnation that would have come to Israel that was picturing our condemnation because of sin. And believers, the honor of the living God is at stake, increasingly attacked in our culture. Will we join David and rise up in our weakness to defend God's reputation, trusting in his resources, so that the world will know that the battle is the Lord's. And as we take bread and as we take the juice, what are we doing? The battle against evil has been beaten, has been defeated. The ultimate and final victory has been won, and Jesus Christ proves the reality of the Father and the resources of God to deliver us, all who believe. So take the bread and the juice with joy if you know Jesus. Because the battle has been won. And if you don't know Christ, don't take the bread and the juice. In the meantime, as you're preparing, if you want to take it, just search your heart and confess your sin and let the Lord uh, speak to your heart so you can come and take these elements with a clean heart. We have a table at the front, a table at the back. As the Lord moves you, get up and take the elements. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for David and the example that he provides for us. First and foremost, Lord, uh, an example of the victory that you've accomplished for us at Calvary. And I pray that we would find in that joy and, and also a time to confess and reflect and just appreciate what you did for those of us who are undeserving. I thank you also for his example, Father, to, to be courageous and to, to step out in our weakness trusting your power to defend your glory so that the world may know there is a God in Israel and that he doesn't fight the battles with human instruments. We pray in Jesus' name.